Turn your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We purposed at the beginning of the year that we were going to spend some time looking uh, at the epistles that the Apostle Paul wrote to the young evangelist Timothy and also to Titus uh, with the purpose of not only better understanding the the words of those letters for ourselves but also to draw from there some applications for exercising ourselves towards godliness which seems to be one of the themes uh, of this particular writing. Uh, so we're going to go back there this morning, and we're thankful that you're here and you uh, are in the assembly. We invite you to open your Bibles and study with us together from this from this text. In Second Timothy chapter Second uh, Timothy chapter two, uh, in verse one, Paul says, "You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard from me among many witnesses. Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also." You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be the first to partake of the crops. I'm convinced that the Apostle Paul was like any instructor or teacher, and that is, one of his purposes was not only that the student would understand what he was writing, but also would strive to make a personal application to his own life. So Paul's writing to Timothy to get him to see not only what the Spirit would reveal, but how what he was saying really applied to his circumstance. And that's not to be the goal of any of us as we study the Scriptures, even far far removed from the original context, is to find how the Scriptures apply to us, uh, to recognize that there are times in which God's Word is certainly providing for us guidance and counsel for our own lives and instructing us. And that's a part of the discernment that God would have us to engage in. And that's the real value of truth. It's not just intellectual value, but rather truth is when it's recognized and it's assessed and it's put into life, then it becomes powerful. Two words in this text that that I think emphasize this personal application that Paul was making to the young evangelist uh, as the word, you therefore, uh, that the Apostle Paul puts these uh, two words together three times uh, in this letter. And two of those occasions are right here in this text, in our verses. In verse 1, he says, you therefore, my son, be strong. And then in verse 3, he repeats that and says, you therefore must endure. And then later on in chapter 4, verse 1, he tells Timothy, you therefore must preach the word in season and out of season. Now that makes a pretty good outline, I think, of somewhat of the, of the admonitions the apostle is giving to Timothy, that he needs to be an individual that's spiritually strong, he needs to stay on task and endure to the end, then he needs to preach the word. Those are very important things that the apostle is saying to Timothy. I want us to look at the ones that are contained here in the text that we're studying, and try to gain some insight into what Paul's telling Timothy about spiritual strength. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. The term be strong is imperative in the language. It is no doubt, as we recognize it, a command. It's obvious when Paul tells Timothy, be strong, that he's talking about here spiritual strength. He's not telling Timothy to go to the gym and work out. He's not talking about physical strength. But, it, but as we recognize it to be spiritual strength, the question might come to mind, why emphasize that here? How does it fit in to, the, to Timothy's own circumstance? We look at what Paul has already said to Timothy, and we recognize that it's a real, the spiritual strength is real important here. That 
is certainly what's going to, what it's going to take for Timothy to survive what's coming. And Paul has told Timothy that there is a testing coming, that there is pressure coming. And he mentions here to him earlier that you must be careful not to abandon what's already been revealed. He tells him back in chapter 1 that he needs to be individual. They need to be individual who hold fast to the message of sound words. And then in the text immediately before this, he tells him about uh, Phygelus and Homogenes who had turned away from Paul, no doubt because of persecution, individuals who'd started but hadn't finished and therefore they'd abandoned God. And if Timothy was going to remain faithful, then he'd be an individual who had severe loyalty, not only to God, but to the message as well. He talked about Onesiphorus as, an, I think, a contrast to these other two. And we'll talk about, the Lord willing, we'll talk about Onesiphorus more specifically in another lesson. But what I want us to see here is that the command to be strong was the right thing to say in the context of what, where Timothy was. And it's the right thing to say to us as well. If you're going to give some admonition to someone that would help them be able to survive what's coming, what would you tell them? Well, it's not—it's going to be worse later on than it is now. I think we could probably pretty much agree that that's the direction even our society is going and maybe even the spirituality of the people around us is. That things are not getting better, they're getting worse. So if I'm going to survive spiritually, then what do I need to be? Well, I need to be stronger than I am now. And I think that's what... Paul's telling, telling Timothy, if you're going to remain faithful in the days that are ahead, you need to be strengthened, stronger than maybe you even are right at this point. But then he says that you be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And we shouldn't overlook that phrase, not only because Paul uses it several times in this letter to talk about how Timothy is to relate to what God is doing, that what he's doing, he's doing through the grace that's in Christ Jesus. But I believe the best understanding of that phrase in this context is to is that it points, interestingly enough, to the passive nature of strength. Though it's an imperative command, something Timothy absolutely must do is be strong, that the way that he gains that strength is passive in the sense that it's not Timothy's own strength, but rather the strength that God gives him that he's really calling for. That Timothy is to look to God, that God will provide through his own grace and mercy strength whereby Timothy will be able to secure and survive. A, better, a somewhat better rendering maybe than the New King James can be seen in the ESV. The ESV says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Another translation says, Be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. And that seems to be the best understanding of that phrase. That God's providing strength. That He's going to give it to you. Now, I think there's two ways of looking at that, and we'll talk about this. The idea that God bestows grace. It certainly goes along with what we'll look at in Ephesians chapter 3. But one note that comes out, one note that I want to mention here that comes, that comes to me is that the idea that of you get strength through mercy is a rather unique way of presenting things, isn't it? And the idea that I would be able to be strengthened by seeing what someone else does to me, that I would be made stronger through an act of kindness that someone else does to me. And yet that's the very avenue by which spiritual strength is gained. It's not because we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps so and we learn to say we just learn to say no, but rather the whole gospel message is a message of mercy. And it's based upon the fact that God has already done for me that which I could not do for myself. And that grace and the mercy of God provides the platform from which I understand that I can be strong, spiritually strong. So I can love and I can 
be willing to sacrifice without fear because God's already done that for me. And the strength then comes through my understanding and my, uh, and my recognition of the grace that's in Christ Jesus. But you compare the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 3. In chapter 3 verse 16, Paul says, as he prays for the Ephesians, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. So he prays that the Ephesians would be strengthened in the inner person through the spirit of God. Well, notice what he says here about how they get this strength. How would they get it? It says, God will grant it to you. And the original term there means to bestow upon as a gift. So that's not a mystical, it's not, it's not the aspect here of some uh, mysterious way that God would make us strong. But the strength that God provides for the Christian is a gift. It comes through what God has already provided in terms of the sacrifice and the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ and our understanding of that. And it also comes through the revelation of God's Word, through the work of the Spirit and making known those things to us. And so the spiritual power that God provides is not a mark of some special class of Christians. It's not reserved, you see, for some clergy element that's among us. But rather, every Christian who submits to God's Word, every Christian who spends time understanding God's Word and applying to their life, grows stronger through that very exercise. Every Christian that suffers and sacrifices for the cause of Christ and goes through the things of life you see that are difficult and that are hard is made stronger through those very experiences. So we discipline our minds, we discipline our spirits to study God's Word, to understand it, and we live by it no matter what. And the end result of that is that we are made strong. And every bit of spiritual food, every bit of spiritual exercise adds to that strength as time goes on. The Apostle Paul understood that. He understood that he was growing through the experiences, that he was learning things, learning how to be content, learning how to recognize that grace, God's grace was sufficient for him through the things that he was suffering. Even an individual who had the miraculous measure of the Spirit and inspiration was growing daily through the exercise of the Spirit in his own life. Later, Paul would indicate near the end of his life that all those around him had left him alone to face his hardships. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, At my first offense no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me that all the Gentiles might hear. You see, people can desert us, but God will not desert us. And when God does not desert us, that strengthens us. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, how is that, in this context we're studying, how is that spiritual strength evidence? Uh, and how was it to be evidenced even in Timothy's life? Well, he goes on to say in this, in verse 2, The things which you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So he he tells Timothy, not only do you need to be strong, but you need to take what you've learned and you need to commit it to others so that they can teach the gospel. Now we might notice that in the verse verse that we just read in 2 Timothy 4, verse 17, that Paul tells Timothy that the Lord strengthened him when others had abandoned him so that the message might be preached fully through him. So Paul sees something we need to see in terms of his own personal strengthening. That God makes me strong 
And my understanding of the Scriptures, my application of the words of God to my life, not just for my own benefit, but He makes me strong so that I can teach others, so that I can make the Word of God and the message known to other people. Because it takes spiritual strength to become a teacher of the Word of God and to commit that Word to other people. It also takes spiritual strength, I think, to do that in the face of great persecution, face of great difficulty. I'm convinced that... 2 Timothy 2.2 here presents a principle that this is a concept mentioned here that's at the very heart of the work of God. How will God accomplish His purposes in society, in future societies from the first century on? How does that take place even in the history of the book of Acts as we read about it in Scripture? Well, this principle that we're talking about right here, one person committing the word to somebody else who then teaches it to somebody else, is the way that that takes place. Now, throughout the scriptures, there's, constant, there's this constant emphasis on the aspect that one person, when he comes to know the word of God, commits that to somebody else who then teaches that to somebody else. That the word doesn't come to us in some mystical way. That God doesn't infuse his, 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 the knowledge of the word of God. Or even the, the motivation to do God's will doesn't infuse us in the heart in some mysterious way. God doesn't speak to us all in the middle of the night. How do we become individuals that know the will of God? That are strengthened ultimately to do the will of God? You see, God put his message in earthen vessels. And the idea here is that one person teaches another person. And that's an important principle for Timothy to understand. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul warned Timothy of this great coming apostasy. In the first few verses there, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will come departing from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. He says they'll come speaking lies. Well, what can be done about that? How can we, you see, confront that and forestall that from happening? How could Timothy deal with that? But Paul told Timothy you should teach the truth. You do it when it's convenient, when it's not convenient, when people are listening, when they're not listening, when there's persecution, and when there's not persecution. You preach it in season and out of season, and you teach the truth. And as long as you stay stay, stay on track of committing the truth that was once for all delivered to other individuals who can teach others, then there will be the ability to see, to confront apostasy. And so he tells them in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, if you instruct the brethren these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you carefully follow. In verse 11, he says, These things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth. Be an example to believers in word and conduct and love and truth and spirit and faith and purity. He tells them, to, Don't neglect these things. Give time to them, you see, because in doing so, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Now that gives us some insight. How can the church today secure itself against false teaching? How can it protect itself from all the things out there that are wrong and the direction society is going in abandoning what is right? How can the church remain strong? Certainly it's based on these very principles. That's the principle of remaining true to the teachings of the truth and being able to teach them and willing to teach them to other people. Every individual is absolutely essential to the success of the teaching of the truth. It's like you think about a relay race. You ever watch those on TV when they have relay races in the Olympics or whatever? What they tell me, I don't, I'm not a racer, obviously. 
uh, much about racing, but kind of what they tell me is that uh, there's this guy called the anchor guy who's the last guy to learn to run. He's really important that he's the fastest and he can really make up time if people fall behind. He can make all of that up. And I think about, that's important, that guy, that last guy that runs. But what about the guy in the middle? I mean, if he quits, if he falls down, if he decides he's not going to run, then that doesn't make any difference who's at the anchor, does it? I mean, every individual in that type of race seems to me that he's pretty crucial. And that's the very element of biblical teaching of God's truth as it portrays itself in the history of the Bible. How long does it take for God's people to fall away? How long does it take for them to abandon the God that saved them and to go and serve idols? A single generation. A generation that grows up not knowing God where individual parents do not do their duty in a single generation causes apostasy. Because the teaching of the truth, you see, involves all of us. Another question that comes to my mind, and I'd like you to think seriously about this because I think I have to as well. Are you a strong Christian? You consider yourself to be spiritually strong. And if you say yes to that question, what criteria by which you would you judge your spiritual strength? Why would you say that about yourself if you're spiritually strong? Well, I worship God. I don't miss any assemblies. I read my Bible at home. And, and you know, I'm really dedicated from the standpoint of, of, of things that go on. And I really have a desire to serve God. But what about this idea of teaching? Could you and I be considered strong Christians if we never learned to teach another person the gospel of Jesus Christ? Could we consider ourselves to be strong in terms of what the Bible describes as spiritual strength if we never learn how to tell somebody else how to become a Christian or we don't learn to teach in any capacity? And there are a lot of Christians, I believe, who consider themselves to be strong who have never in any way ventured into a classroom to teach kids who have never taught anybody in a public forum, who have never taught their neighbor the gospel. Sometimes you see we need to come to we need to confront ourselves with that question. Paul says you commit this truth to other individuals because you must be spiritually strong. The word commit in 2 Timothy 2 2 means to entrust. It means to deposit something for safekeeping. And Paul uses the same word to, later on to describe the truth that was given to Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, hold fast the pattern of sound word which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. That's not the passage. It's not there, is it? There it is. All right. <laughs> what else evidences spiritual strength in the context here that we're studying? Paul tells Timothy, you have to endure. Now that's the result of being spiritually strong, but it's also a clear evidence that someone is strong. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that they may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Paul's use of the imagery of the soldier here is pretty powerful. Paul uses it several times, and we can relate to that as well. The life of a soldier is not easy. It involves by its very nature the aspect of suffering and hardship. It 
And there's the reason behind that. A soldier can't be a soft person, so to speak, because he's going to have to endure very adverse circumstances. He's going to go where people don't normally go and to be engaged in a battle and do things you see that not a person doesn't do every day because there is a cause to be fought for. So the Christian is a soldier in the sense that he's going to have to endure hardship by the very nature of that task that's before him. The term endure hardship here is a compound word that means to suffer alongside another. It's the same word that Paul used in chapter 1 verse 8 that we studied last week where he talks about sharing in the sufferings of the gospel. It implies this aspect that the, that the, that the soldier does not suffer by himself. He has a comrade beside him and they have a common cause and they're joined in that cause not only in the victories but also in the hardships that are involved. So there's strength in camaraderie. There's strength when we are side by side and we're suffering through the same things and we're sharing those things. And if I can be strong, then I can encourage the person next to me to be strong. And that's an important part of the congregation that we are among and the people as we join ourselves together. Being a Christian, you see, is not something I can do, you see, at large, away from everybody else. God doesn't call me to that. He calls me to a community, to a family to a kingdom under the, under the mutual headship of Jesus Christ whereby I encourage the other person. So do not neglect the times in which you can be together because they can make us strong. But in Ephesians chapter 6, remember where Paul talks about the, the, soul, the Christian soldier putting on the armor. He says, Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood because principalities and powers and it's rulers of the darkness of this age. Paul certainly indicating here that there is, a, there, there is a cause and there is a battle that takes place. And that strength, spiritual strength, is gained through this continual, constant commitment to the goal. So that I do not allow myself to be distracted. And that's what's involved in this aspect of entanglement. Don't be entangled again in the affairs of this life. The word literally means to be intertwined, to weave together. What Paul's saying here, there's something, there are two things that are irre- irreconcilable, and that is the affairs of this life, what goes on in the physical realm that promotes the world around us and the cause of Jesus Christ. Any teaching that tries to intertwine those together that says I can serve God by serving the world is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And any time I allow myself to be distracted by the things that are in the world to keep me from doing the things that God has given me to do, then I, you see... I've abandoned the cause. And that's what Jesus, I think, is talking about in Luke chapter 9. When it says there, as those who ask Him, I want to follow you. Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. you going to follow Me? And they said to one another, so He said to one another, follow Me. Follow me. He said, Lord, let Me first go and bury My Father. And Jesus said to Him, let the dead bury your own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of a God. Another also said, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me go first and bid them farewell who are at my house. And Jesus said, no one putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Sometimes Jesus' words are pretty hard, aren't they? Pretty hard. You mean I can't go bury my father first? You mean I, I can't do this first? And Jesus says, I either come first or I don't come at all. You must put this commitment thing you see clearly in the front of your mind. Because if you turn back, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. Now that's involved in this aspect of being a soldier. The desire to please his commander above everything else. 
Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10, For I, do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Jesus Christ, Paul says. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. And so we please, we please God and not men. That's commitment. And what's involved in those passages and the many times in which God talks about this aspect of commitment, you see, is the spiritual strength and the gaining of the spiritual strength that we need. Then Paul says he competes according to the rules. If anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Strength is displayed when those who compete do it in the right way. They do it according to the rules. And I'm convinced that the idea here of according to the rules is not only the aspect that there was a rule book in athletics, even as there is now. The Greek games, who, which had continued on even in the times of Paul, certainly had in, involved in them this aspect of certain qualifications. But also the aspect here that the rules has to do with understanding the purpose of the cause that you are involved in. But according to the rules of competition within what was at that time, you see, uh, the uh, the the Greek games the person who was going to compete had to be a true born Greek he had to train at least 10 months for the games and swear to it that to the statue of Zeus he had to compete within the specific rules of a given event so that he had to do precisely what everybody else was going to do who was going to compete in that particular cause now that may be what Paul has in mind when he says here he can compete according to the rules that if you're going to be involved in this competition then you have to recognize what it's going to exact from you. Jesus often said to his disciples, count the cost before you get into this and understand that there are things that are going to demand it of you and you have to be strong enough to discipline yourself to do this. But I'm convinced that discipline, self-discipline here, is really what may very well be on display. The rules being spoken of here are not so much ones that are found in a rule book as, as, as the aspect of the very demands of the task or the goal that's being pursued. What will this demand of me, even from one moment to another? Will I be willing to put up with whatever God wants me to do, so to speak? Will I be willing to exercise myself in the godliness in whatever circumstance comes along? Those who are going to receive the crown have to have that level of commitment, that level of spiritual strength. You know, you know anybody who started thinking they're going to live the Christian life and then given up because something came along that was just more than they were willing to give. Paul says, "The hardworking farmer, those who spiritually, those who are spiritually strong, display this as a farmer displays in his own hard work the task that's set before him." If the, if the athlete is the image of self-discipline, the farmer is the image of the value of diligence. Not only must we discipline ourselves, but we must be diligent to do what God has given us to do. And the farmer is a unique individual. He's a fellow who's strong, but he's strong because of the work that he does. You know, there's, people can be physically strong and display that maybe for different reasons. You know, there are some of these guys who go to the gym and they work out just so their shirt will fit tight <laughs> and they'll look good. Uh, and that's okay. I, that's, that's fine with me. You, you know who I am. And I'll never be that way. But then I know other guys who are strong, physically strong, because of the work that they do. 
They don't get it at the gym. They get it on the job. They're strong because they're lifting bales of hay or because they're climbing ladders or well, they're doing something every day. And the, it, their strength almost comes as a natural result of the fact of the work that they do. Now, strength, one strength is no better than the other, but I believe what Paul's talking about here in the example of the, hard, uh, the hardworking farmer is that the spiritual strength that, that the Christian is engaged in comes as a result of the activity of the task that he's involved in. He's actually doing something for God. And not only is he doing it, he's doing it with the aspect that he has faith that it will bring about a produce or he will be an individual who partakes of the crop. In fact, Paul says it this way, he's the first one who takes of the crop that he produces. So farmers feed a lot of people. In this country, they feed millions of people. The farmer is a very effective and productive individual in our society and in this country. But let's not forget that the first person to benefit from the farmer's work is the farmer himself. And that's what Paul's saying. The fellow goes out and plows the field and he's willing to exert that work and to put in that time and to have that kind of confidence that it's going to actually produce something. Who's he doing that for? Well, he's doing that for himself. Because he's not lazy. He's not indolent. He's willing to work for that which he will accomplish. And so the farmer is a clear example of hard work. He's a clear example of a fruitful harvest. And that makes you see him an image of the Christian. Not in the sense that we do what God wants us to do for our own benefit, but that the Christian is an individual who is not lazy. He's an individual who is always willing to do what God would give him to do. The proverb writer speaks about the lazy person. The lazy man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during the harvest and have nothing. I went by the field of the lazy man and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding and there it was all overgrown with thorns its surface was covered with nettles its stone wall was broken down when I saw it I considered it well I looked on it received instruction a little sleep, a little slumber a little folding of the hands to rest so shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man what's the wise man telling us here? it's obvious when someone's unwilling to work is it not? it shows up because hard work by its very nature produces fruit. Now is that true in the spiritual level? Is that what Paul's telling us here about the aspect of being spiritually strong? That we will become spiritually strong through actually getting involved and doing the work God has given us to do. And if we don't do that, it'll show. What will develop is weak individuals spiritually. Individuals that can easily be taken advantage of. They're vulnerable to Satan who have all kinds of spiritual problems over and over again and never seem to overcome. Why? Because, because they're not the hardworking farmer. Because they're, they're putting their trust in the salvation and the, the, the harvest that God will provide. And that's another element, you see, of the aspect of the farmer. The work of the farmer is also one that displays fruit that doesn't come immediately. He puts the seed in the ground and then he waits. And sometimes we have to recognize that that is itself an element of spiritual strength. But the, the willingness to wait, the ability to wait for God to do something in our life and to bring about fruit because we have put, planted the seed and exerted effort is a display of spiritual strength. And so the farmer waits for the precious fruit, James says, of the earth, waiting patiently for it until he receives the early in the latter rain. There are many ways that we display spiritual strength in our life and that certainly ways in which Paul would tell Timothy here you need to be involved in becoming strong in in these very ways. Thank you for your attention this morning.
Take out your songbooks. We're going to sing the song which was announced earlier as a song of encouragement. If you're not a Christian, uh, even this morning, we want to certainly uh, draw to your attention uh, the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ our Lord. That what is ever before us as Christians is that God has been good to us. He's given us more than we ever deserve. And He's freed us from the punishment that we did deserve through His own mercy. And that Calvary stands for the Christian, you see, as the very foundation of who he is. And the purpose of his life is to reflect Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. We have a king that's not dead. Our king is at the right hand of God and he intercedes for us through his own blood. And that can be he can be your king as well who intercedes for you if you'll become a Christian. If you're willing to repent and turn away from wickedness and confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord and be baptized in water for the forgiveness of sins... You die with Christ that you might rise with Him. You can be His. He can save you. Not only can He save you, but He will save you. Will you do that this morning?